Greetings fellow captains, and welcome back to Rank Amateur. In this episode, we will be going over the first British ship that I have ever featured in this podcast, and that is the Tier 7 Premium British Battleship HMS Hood. So let's go over some news before we get into the main content of this today's episode. So the news, World of Warships 0.9.9 update has hit, finally. I think a lot of people have been waiting for these new U.S. Navy battleships to be introduced. And yes, there is a new branch of U.S. battleships as if there needed to be one. I don't know. I still haven't finished going through the first branch of battleships. I'm stuck at Tier 6 with that horrid New Mexico. I mean, they could have replaced that, and wouldn't, I wouldn't care about that. So, uh, Kansas has been added to Tier 8, and uh, not into Tier 9 comes USS Minnesota. These are both paper ships. They were not actually real. They're based off designs from interwar period, uh, just after World War One, when the U.S. was still, still building big, slow, heavily armored battleships, except for the fact that these aren't that well armored. Their citadels are low, but if you can hit them, big damage points for you. I mean, that's any citadel, but they are he- easy to hit if you can, if you, um, manage to get the right angles on them. It's not a matter of getting enough penetration. These things are not very well armored, so they have huge guns, uh, I believe 17-inch on the Kansas and pseudo 18-inch guns, so kind of same caliber guns as the Thunderer and the Georgia have on the Minnesota and the Vermont. All right, and they're going to be able to hit fairly hard. The penetration values aren't great, which is going to make them good for going after cruisers, maybe not necessarily great for going after enemy battleships just because they're not super tanky. And they're rather slow, which means they're a large torpedo, uh, I guess, target. And the Kitakami is supposed to be coming back, or at least it's been rumored. And that ship has 40 torpedoes. It is a Tier 9 version of the Japanese Kuma-class cruisers. Like I said, 40 torpedoes is not going to mix well, or at least for the U.S. Navy captain, who is captaining the Kansas or the Minnesota or the Vermont. It's not going to be fun for them, so I guess it's just going to have to rely on spotting the Kuma or the pseudo-Kuma before it gets its torpedoes off, but that will be interesting to see. So the next thing that's come out is a uh, new clan battle season, the northern water season, so if you're into clan battles, that might be something to check out. Mercenaries for a clan uh, divisions, so division commanders can invite players outside their clan or from other clan to join their divisions for clan battles. And this is just intended to let division commanders uh, see if these players are worthy of joining their clan. And I think that's an interesting idea. I don't, I don't I actually have not done any clan battles, so uh, if anybody wants to invite me to one, maybe I'd be interested in playing. Although I don't have a whole lot of time to be playing clan battle. So, uh, the biggest thing that's come is a change to the game mechanics, and that's regarding the penetration mechanics of the main battery turrets. And essentially that uh, they've listened to us players who have become frustrated with the fact that you can penetrate a main battery turret and disable the turret, which is great, but you're not going to do any damage to the ship itself. And this is going to be fixed because any damage dealt to a main battery turret also entails damage to a ship in the amount of one-tenth of the maximum damage of the shell. So essentially, if you hit a turret, it's going to result in damage equivalent to that of an over-penetration. And this is Wargaming's solution to the issue of having lots of no-damage penetrations when you get like a really good salvo off at some guy. Well, and this also applies to turret barbats too, by the way. Um, but they said the damage that's going to be done to the turret is going to be reduced by 3.3 times. So you're not going to do as much damage to the turret, but you're also going to do damage to the ship in general. So I don't know which one's better for you. I mean, I guess it's depending on where you're going. So you're going to have less of a chance of disabling the turret, but you're going to have more 
damage be dealt to the ship. So I guess if you're like, if the guy's on really low health or something like a thousand health and you hit his turret normally or before this update, it would be like you wouldn't kill him. You just disable his turret. But now there's a chance that if you penetrate, you could actually kill him. I don't personally aim for the turrets that much because, unless I'm at really close range because it just it's hard to penetrate the faces of them, especially if they're aiming towards you. So I don't really find it that efficient. The number of hit points for the main battery turret modules has also been reduced by half, so that's kind of counteracting the fact that the amount of damage dealt to the turret is going to be reduced by 3.3 times. And they are going to say that any hit points that are taken by damage to the turrets can be fully replaced by a, a repair party consumable or a specialized repair team's consumable. And the barbette models have been updated. So that is a thing to take note of. So I guess aiming for the turrets is not completely worthless now unless you want to disable them. But uh, not a super game-changing uh, game mechanic change that they've given us. And there's been some visual improvements, so if you're on lower graphics settings, they've uh, changed the models on the waves of the water, and it actually does look quite different, and I think it'll look a lot better. I mean, I don't really pay attention to the water that much, but it will be certainly a nice improvement. There's uh, been some changes to the reticles of uh, aircraft squadrons and the way the cameras work there, so... I don't play aircraft carriers all too much, so it's not going to be a super change for me, but you might want to look into that if you're a aircraft carrier main. There's been some technical changes and improvements. Uh, they've consolidated the uh, game client for different regions, so if you play on, let's say, the Russian server and the EU server, you will not have to have separate game clients on your PC. You can just log into one and choose which one you want to be on, which I think will certainly be handy for players who do play on different servers. But there's a few negative changes that they've had on, or at least backwards changes that they made to the technicalities of the game, and that's that they're not supporting any graphics cards that don't meet the minimum system requirements and don't support DirectX 11 features. So if you have a lower X graphics card, you might not have support for the game. And that could certainly be a huge bummer and frustration for those of you who maybe are on a budget system. I wouldn't have a problem with that, but you guys might, and that might be something to check out. And a huge, huge thing that's changed right now is the fact that they're not supporting the macOS operating system anymore. And, or with the release of update 0.10.0. So if you have a macOS operating system and you're playing World of Warships from there, you better get something figured out by the time that update comes around because you will not be supported anymore. And that will not be very fun. So I guess that's Wargaming's way of getting, or of saying, figure it out to all of its macOS players. Because uh, apparently the reasoning is, quote, we made this decision due to the low popularity of this operating system among our players. Supporting macOS restrains our ability to improve the visuals of the game and its overall performance, end quote. So... Um, I guess they do have a little bit of a reasoning behind it. I don't know if cutting a whole audience from their game is exactly a good idea, but, you know, you do you wargaming. So there's been some content additions as well. Uh, FDR, so the Franklin Delano Roosevelt Aircraft Carrier, Tier 10 Midway Class U.S. Carrier, is in the game now. If you wish to go get that, that's for 33000 steel. Might be an interesting buy for those of you who are into the Midway Class Carriers, or Carriers in general. Uh, it's got large HP pools for aircraft and large squadron size, and that allows you to continue uh, carrying out attacks very with very quick turnarounds, but they lack the repair consumable, so they uh, may be vulnerable to heavy enemy anti-aircraft fire. Uh, it's also got some solid armor protection, so it should be a very hardy carrier. I don't know exact specifications for that yet, but... Uh, Another addition to the game is a Tier 9 Italian Destroyer. This is the second destroyer that I think is in the game. Um, I think they offered a, another premium destroyer, but I don't think you can buy that anymore. Or at least to my knowledge, I might be forgetting something. But uh, it's the size of a light cruiser, actually. So it's a fairly large destroyer. Looks like it's going to have some heavy artillery, and it's going to fire SAP and HE shells, not SAP and AP shells. So that might be... 
more I think it's more geared towards destroyers because destroyers need to set fires. They don't need to penetrate things as much with their AP. But they said it's going to have a long reload time, so that might be something to think about. It's going to have good torpedo armament, and it's going to have access to the emergency engine power and exhaust smoke consumables, so a full-speed smoke on this one, too. And it's going to... They said it's going to be suited more for lightning-fast attacks at short ranges, or at least that's quoting them. So I guess a destroyer similar to the French destroyers, it seems like. But I would be interested to hear the opinions of anybody who's tried that out. I don't know how Italian work or Italian destroyers work too much. Um, some changes to premium ships that are being offered, and they are offering some more uh, premium ships for testing from com community contributors. So that's going to be a tier nine Japanese battleship, a tier nine Brit or German destroyer, a tier nine or Tier 8 French battleship, a Tier 10 British cruiser, and a Tier 6 uh, Commonwealth cruiser. So a second Commonwealth cruiser would be interesting. Odd that it's at Tier 6 like the other one, the Perth. But that is it for news in World of Warships, or at least it for major news in World of Warships. I'm going to take a quick break and give you a message from this episode's sponsor, and we'll be right back with the history of HMS Hood. And we're back at Rank Amateur, and with the history of HMS Hood, which is kind of a sad history, but, you know, a history nonetheless. Let's begin with the specifications of the ship. So, she was a Hood-class battlecruiser, or actually an Admiral-class battlecruiser, but the only one of them that was completed, as the other three, Anson, Howe, and Rodney, were cancelled. Rodney would later be the second ship of the Nelson-class battleships, but not a Hood-admiral-class battlecruiser. So, she displaced 47,750 long tons deep load. She had a length of 860 feet, or 262.1 meters. She had a beam of 104 feet, or 31.7 meters. She had a draught of 31 feet 6 inches, or 9.6 meters. She had 24 Yarrow boilers, which produced 144,000 shaft horsepower, which I believe is a lot for a ship of her size. She had a propulsion system that consisted of four shafts, so four propellers, and she, they were propelled by four geared steam turbines. She had a speed of 32 knots, which is incredibly fast for a battleship, or actually a battleship of her time, and that's 37 miles an hour. She had a range of 7,500 nautical miles at 14 knots, so that's rather fast. Most battleships cruise at only 10 knots, and... Most battleships have a large, longer cruising speed, but she could get there faster. She had a complement of 820 crew, and she had an armament of four twin 15-inch guns, so 380mm guns. She had 16 single 5.5-inch, or 140mm guns. For her secondaries, she had four single 4-inch guns, so 102mm AA guns. She had 10 21-inch torpedo tubes, which is a lot of torpedoes for a battleship. However, they were fixed and submerged underneath the water, so they were not used very much as they were rather hard to aim and required turning the ship. So, being a battlecruiser, which, for those of you who do not know much about ships, is a kind of a cross between a cruiser and a battleship, as the name would suggest. So, it forgoes armor and protection in favor of speed and armament. So, these ships were heavily armed, designed to hit hard, but they weren't really designed to take much of a beating. So, the belt only had 5 to 12 inches of armor, so that's 127 to 305 millimeters of plating. The decks were 1 to 5 inches of armor, so that's 25 to 127 mils. The barbettes had 12 inches of armor, so 305 mils. The turrets had 11 to 15 inches of armor, which is actually fairly well armored, which is 279 to 381 mils. Conning tower had 9 to 11 inches, which is 229 to 279 millimeters. The torpedo bulkheads were quarter or three quarters of an inch to 1.5 inches so that's 19 to 38 millimeters so not very well armored in the bulkhead so the longitudinal protection was not very good so she could not take a beating from the front very well so shall we move on to the history of hms hood so it, 
the interesting part of the history goes all the way back to before the ship was even constructed. So what happened was is they were planning a better design of the Queen Elizabeth-class battleships, but Admiral John Jellicoe, who was the commander of the British fleet during the Battle of Jutland, suggested that there be some changes to the design based off data learned from the battle. And if you know anything about the battle, there was a lot of British battleships or battlecruisers that exploded right at the open of opening shots of the battle because their magazines were damaged by the shells fired by the Germans. And magazines are where they just store all the ammunition and propellant. So propellant is what explodes to send the shell flying out of the barrel at something like a thousand meters a second or close to it. So when that propellant explodes inside of the ship and not inside of the gun, bad things tend to happen because remember those shells weigh upwards of a half ton or one ton. So they will be very, very heavy, and they need to be flung very far, so it requires very powerful explosives to get your shell that far. And when very powerful explosives explode in the ship, it tends to sink ships, which is not what a Navy wants. So there was revisions made to the design, and the ships were finally laid down. However, it was decided that the materials and labor needed to build them was better used to build merchantmen and escort vessels. So they decided to cancel three of them, but HMS Hood had progressed so far in its, or its construction that it would be more expensive to cancel and scrap it than to actually just finish the building of it. So it was completed in 1920, and, or, by the way, construction started in 1916. Along with numerous advancements in armor, fire control, armament, and protection, HMS Hood also had advancements in aircraft to flying off technologies. However, it was found that her folding catapult installed on her quarterdeck was rather wet, which means that it often got wet in high seas and bad weather, so it was removed in 1932, as it proved to be rather useless. So that left HMS Hood with no ability to launch a spotter plane, which is rather rare for a capital ship of the World War II era. So shortly after her commissioning in 1924, or actually her commissioning was in 1920, in 1924 she went on a world cruise with the Special Service Squadron to rem essentially remind all of the British territories and dominions that they were firmly in control and that they should support the Navy with money, ships, and facilities. So... They departed in 1923, rather, but they returned in September 1924, and they had visited South Africa, India, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and some other smaller con colonies and dependencies, as well as the United States, which was not dependent of the United Kingdom, but nonetheless needed reminders that they were firmly in control, apparently. And in 1924, in, or in April 1924, the squadron escorted the battleship or battlecruiser HMAS Australia out to sea where she was scuttled. And this was to remain in compliance with the Washington Naval Treaty. So the battlecruiser squadron then visited Lisbon in January 1925 and participated in Vasco da Gama? celebrations so apparently some sort of festival they have and then continued to the mediterranean for exercises to train with the fleet life was relatively uneventful until 10 years later in 1935 when the hms hood was in gibraltar for a mediterranean cruise and she was rammed in the quarterdeck by the battlecruiser renowned on January 23rd, 1935, and the damage to Hood was limited to her, her outer propeller and an 18-inch dent in the side of the ship. The ship was repaired in Gibraltar temporarily and then was permanently repaired in Portsmouth between February and May 1935, and this instant resulted in the court-martial of both ships involved, or the captains of both ships involved. 
She had limited participation in the Spanish Civil War, mostly limited to an incident in April 1937 when she was escorting three British merchant ships into Bilbao Harbor, and she succeeded in escorting them into the harbor despite the presence of a nationalist cruiser that attempted to blockade the harbor. And she was refitted in Malta between November and December 1937 and had her submerged torpedo tubes removed. Most of the time leading up to World War II was spent in modernizations for HMS Hood. Now something that I find was interesting about HMS Hood was the fact that she had serious issues as far as mechanical issues because she had been worked so hard in the interwar years because she was like the... Royal Navy's kind of figurehead, I guess. It was their flagship, the pride, it was the true pride of the Royal Navy. And she was worked so hard that her machinery was in dire need of replacement and repair, which was scheduled for 1939, but World War II happened to break out, so this was delayed. And most of it never happened, which means that her speed by 1945 for, or by 1940 was limited to 26.5 knots and if you remember to earlier in the podcast her speed was supposed to be around 32 knots which is a huge blow to her kind of effectiveness in battle so it was the royal navy's own arrogance that limited the performance of one of their main ships when war broke out in 1939 hms hood spent most of her time around iceland and the Faroe islands to protect convoys and look out and intercept possibly even sink german merchant raiders and blockade runners that were attempting to break out into the atlantic in september 1939 the home fleet soared into the central north at sea to cover the return of the damaged british submarine hms spearfish uh, the fleet was spotted by the Germans and attacked by bomb- some bomber wings, and Hood was hit by a 550-pound or 250-kilogram bomb from uh, Junkers GU-88 Stuka, and this damaged her port torpedo bulge and condensers. But, as I said before, this was partially caused by the fact that she couldn't maintain her top speed. Her machinery was in dire shape and was limited to 26.5 knots. Now, she did participate in Operation Catapult, which was essentially the destruction of the French fleet at, I don't even know how to pronounce that, uh, Mers Ecribert, I think that's how you pronounce it, in July 1940, after the French had surrendered. Now, you might be thinking, well, Jaden, what do you mean? These two uh, forces were on the same side in World War II. Well, yes, but actually no. Because what happened after the French surrendered is their fleet was likely to end up in Axis' hands. So the British issued an order saying, well, you got to come to a neutral port or ours and or our port and intern your ships. Otherwise, they will be destroyed. And when the French refused, the British marched their ships all the way down to North Africa and decided to sink a lot or damage or sink a lot of ships. So they damaged the Brit- or the French battleship Dunkirk, or and Hood fired at Dunkirk as well. And the Dunkirk was supposed or forced to beach herself. However, the Dunkirk's sister ship, the Strasbourg managed to escape from the harbor, and HMS Hood and several of her light cruiser comrades gave chase, but they gave up after two short hours. In the chase, the Hood had dodged a salvo of torpedoes fired from a French sloop, and actually had stripped one of her turbines because she had reached 28 knots, which was well beyond the capabilities of her worn-out machinery at the time. Much of the rest of 1940 was spent chasing around false rumors of the Germans' actions, so she was put to Rosenth because there was supposedly an invasion force headed for that city, along with Nelson and Rodney, to protect against that. And that turned out to not be that credible of a threat, so then she returned to convoy escort duties before being used or activated twice to chase the pocket battleship Admiral Shear and the heavy cruiser Admiral Hipper, but these both gave no results. And essentially, we'll have the rest of 1941 is more of the same. She tried to chase Gnaiz and Island Shorenhorse, but never found them. And this was just kind of floating around 
in and around British waters because they were more or less waiting for the King George V class of battleships to come in service to relieve the hood of her duties as being the flagship of the fleet because she was in dire need of a refit. And that was never, or that never really happened. She was put to the Norwegian Sea on April 19th, 1941, when the Admiralty received a false report that the German battleship had broken out into the Atlantic. However, she was put back into Scapa Flow on May 6th, 1941. And the Bismarck then decided to come out in mid-May 1941, and the Hood and the newly commissioned King George V class battleship Prince of Wales was set out in pursuit of the German battleship along with several other British capital ships. The cruisers Norfolk and Suffolk, which I think is kind of funny that they were put together, uh, both county class heavy cruisers, spotted the German ships and the engagement commenced on May 24th, 1941. So the British had spotted the Germans, or at least the Hood had spotted the Germans at 0537 hours and the Germans were actually already aware of their presence because the Prince Eugen's hydrophones which are really sensitive microphones that the ship uses to detect other ships engine noises had detected high-speed propellers to the southeast the British opened fire at 0552 hours with the hood engaging Prince Eugen which was the lead ship in the German formation the Germans returned fire at 0555 and both ships were concentrating their fire on Hood. It's speculated that the Prince Eugen probably scored the first hit with a hit to the Hood's boat deck, which was between her funnels, and it started a large fire among the ready-use ammunition stowage for the anti-aircraft guns. Just before 0600 hours, when the Hood was turning about 20 degrees to port to use her rear turrets, she was hit again on the boat deck by at least one shell from the Bismarck's 5th salvo, which was fired from a range of approximately 16.65 kilometers, which is about 18,210 yards. A shell from the salvo appears to have hit the spotting top. And then a huge jet of flame burst out of the vicinity of the mainmast, so sort of behind the funnels, and that was followed by a devastating magazine explosion from the aft part of the ship. The explosion broke the back of Hood, so essentially the ship rose out of the water, a part of it, and the uh, longitudinal frame support, or I mean, um, horizontal frame supports broke, and causing the ship to basically split in two, and the ship sank in only three minutes, and the last sight of her was her bow nearly vertical in the water. And a note from the survivor sketch in the British Royal Navy Historical Branch Archives gives 63.20 degrees north, 31.5 degrees west is the position of the sinking. Hood sank stern force with four, or 1,410 or 418 men aboard. Only three survived. And that was ordinary singleman Ted Briggs, able seaman Robert Tilburn, and midshipman William John Dudas. The three were rescued about two hours after the sinking by the destroyer Electra. And that was the very violent ending of HMS Hood. After the HMS Hood was sunk, HMS Prince of Wales was forced to disengage by a combination of damage from the, received from the Germans and mechanical issues in her guns. Then, despite these problems, she had managed to hit the Bismarck Fleet three times. One of these hits contaminated a portion of the ship's fuel supply, and this caused her to alter her course for occupied France, where she could hopefully be repaired. But the Bismarck was not able to evade detection for long and was subsequently sunk by the British on May 27, 1941, on her maiden voyage. Please stick around for our third portion of this episode, which is going to be the World of Warships section on HMS Hood. I'll be back after a quick break and a word from this episode's sponsor. Welcome back to Rank Amateur, and this is the World of Warships section of HMS Hood. And without further ado, let's jump straight into the stats of HMS Hood. So she is a Tier 7 premium ship, so she's not going to have any upgrades or anything like that. But her hit points, or how many hit points does she have? Well, she has 67,700, which is quite a hefty amount of hit points for her tier. She carries 381mm 42 caliber Mark II guns and 
Those are disposed of in four turrets of two guns each. They have reload time fairly standard, 30 seconds, and they have a 180 degree turn time of a pretty good, pretty respectable, 36 seconds. They have a firing range that's also pretty typical of 18.57 kilometers, if not a little bit on the low side. Uh, maximum dispersion is fairly good at 242 meters. There is better, there is worse, but it's fairly good. It'll hit, get the job done. The maximum HE shell damage is 5,300. The chance of fire on target is 34%. So it's not as good as HMS Nelson or some other ships that are at higher tiers. As far as the British battleship's concerned, it's not a ridiculous chance of fire. But yeah, it'll definitely set a ton of fires if you so choose to spam HE, which is really not what the ship is intended for. But I mean, if it suits you, go ahead. Now, the maximum AP shell damage is 11,400, which is fairly typical. And the initial AP shell velocity is 731.5 meters a second, which is fairly slow. It's, so it's going to have a little bit of a lofty uh, sort of shell arc on there, but uh, it is a battleship, so that shouldn't be too much of a problem. But you might have some issues engaging in extreme ranges. So the AP shell weight is 879 kilograms. Secondary armament, 102mm 45 caliber QF Mark, oh boy, uh, Mark 14. Uh, so those are, there are 7 or 14 guns, and those are in 7 turrets of 2. The firing range is 5 kilometers. The rate of fire is 20 shots a minute. And that's a reload time of 3 seconds. So the maximum HE shell damage is 1,500. And the initial HE shell velocity is 811 mil or meters a second. And the chance of fire cost on target is 6%. So they're not going to do that much. I mean, they might deal with some extremely low health destroyer that sneaks up on you, but you really wouldn't count on them to do anything. So the AA defense... It does have a lot of guns listed, but I will tell you that the outer AA defense and the flak bursts are devastating. They will just eat aircraft alive that sit in that outer bubble, and you'll you'll get tons of plane kills there. But the innermost and intermediate uh, AA auras are not very good. They're not really going to do much for you, so you're really going to be relying on those flak bursts, which isn't super reliable because they don't always hit. There's not a constant damage output. So the maximum speed of the ship is a very impressive 32 knots, as it was in history. Turning circle radius is rather large at 910 meters, even for a battleship. Rudder shift time is extremely good at 13.4 seconds. Surface detectability range is not super great at 16.2 kilometers, so only a 2-kilometer stealth firing buffer, or at least surprise buffer. You're still going to get detected if you fire your guns, but you'll be able to surprise them for 2 kilometers. Air detectability range is a pretty horrendous 11.9 kilometers, or 11.09 kilometers, rather, and... That, that just kind of goes along with the horrible surface detection range, but you're really not sneaking around in the ship too much. You're more keeping your enemy at arm's length and using your speed to drive circles around them, essentially hitting them from that medium range so you're not hopefully getting hit in return. So some interesting things about this ship is the fact that she does have the largest health pool in her tier, and she has extremely good main battery traverse and accuracy. But she uses normal fuse timers, unlike the British Tech Tree battleships, and this means that your AP is more effective against armored targets like battleships and things like that, and less armored targets like cruisers, or particularly light cruisers, you might get some more of a penetrations on that, which can be a little frustrating, but it's a little bit of give and take, because now you're more effective against heavily armored targets, which is kind of what the battleships are expected to fight. Although this is a battle cruiser, so it does tend to prey on cruisers, or at least try to a little more. So her top speed is an excellent 32 knots, and this combined with her good rudder shift time for a battleship is going to make a very potent combination for dodging shells and just getting out of bad situations. The Citadel, although not very well protected, does sit at the waterline, and the protection that she does have is turtleback protection, so it's going to give you a little bit of a buffer, although that turtleback protection is not very... Uh, it's not very thick, so don't expect to be pulling off any Bismarck moves or anything like that. Her flak burst, as I said, it's very good. 
But that's kind of, I guess, not complemented very well by her weak middle and inner AA auras, as those are weak. So you're pretty much going to be keeping aircraft, or at least the best you can, at arm's length. Her armor is fairly weak, but that's kind of what you expect when you're buying a battlecruiser. It's not going to have the armor and hardiness of a battleship. It's not going to be very tanky. But she does have a large health pool, which could help with that. Um, she has a very, very large superstructure that's a huge target for any destroyers or light cruisers, and they're going to spam you with HE, and it is not very well protected, so it's easily going to be penetrated and uh, possibly set on fire. Uh, her turn circle radius, although her rudder shift time is very good, her turn circle radius is large because the ship is fast, it's fast and long, so it's not going to turn very well through the water, and so it bleeds a lot of speed through turns. She only has eight guns, and they have that standard reload speed of 30 seconds, and they're only 15-inch guns, so you can notice that the DPM of this battlecruiser is not going to be super great. Although she can have a fairly large alpha strike if uh, she is targeting the correct, I guess, uh, the most squishy target. So if you're targeting like a, like a cruiser, a broadside, let's say New Orleans, yes, you'll find that you may have a very large alpha strike, but you can't really count on your DPM that much, which can be a little unfortunate, especially when going against other battleships. And I realize now that one thing I neglected to tell you is that she does have access to the defensive AA fire consumable, which is very rare among battleships and is very useful if you're coming under sustained air attack or just can't afford to be attacked. Um, in recent updates, it's become, I guess, less of a useful consumable to have in your lineup, but it can be useful and can save your skin. It can throw off the aim of uh, an opponent who's trying to evade flak and things like that. So that is certainly what it's used for. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to stop a strike, though, so it, it's still a bit of a chance. It's not like damage control where you can just eliminate fires. It won't eliminate aircraft, but it will definitely save your skin in a tight pinch. But I think it is time to go over the upgrades of the ship. On slot 1, we want main armaments modification 1, which is fairly standard for most ships, and I recommend taking it on any ship, especially if you don't know what to do on the first slot. It's just a good kind of all-around thing to take in slot 1. Now in slot 2, we're going to want damage control modification one, and that is because their only other things offered are a propulsion and steering modification, which you could take, um, especially if you find that you're having trouble um, having your engines or your steering constantly knocked out. That might be a skill to take. Defensive AA fire is a special consumable that you can take in slot two for this ship. I really don't think upgrading that is going to be good. It's uh, better to have the reduced chance of fire and the reduced chance of your engines and steering breaking down than having a few extra damage per second on your AA guns or something like that. Now in slot 3, I'm going to go with aiming systems just because the secondaries and the AA guns aren't particularly good on this ship and the turret traverse is already fairly good so it doesn't really need to be upgraded. And the artillery needs to be hit like constantly. It needs to be on target constantly. I know that's what <laughs> kind of stating the obvious as far as World of Warships is concerned. You really want the guns to hit on any ship. But especially on this ship, because it only has eight guns, which is one gun less than most battleships, and is three guns less, or rather four guns less, than even the Tier 6 New Mexico, which is the American Tier 6 battleship. I did do a podcast on that if you want to check it out down below after you're done listening with this episode. But you really need to make the most of those guns, and they need to hit, otherwise your already low DPM is not going to be... Uh, sufficient to sustain a firefight with other battleships or even some cruisers. So you're really going to want to make sure you have that upgrade. Uh, damage control system modification 2 in slot 4. Again, just preserving that health pool because she is fairly sensitive to taking fire and you do not want to come under sustained fire. And you could go with the propulsion systems or the steering system modifications and that will, for at least for the steering system, reduce your rudder shift time and for the propulsion system, reduce the time it takes to get to maximum speed. Uh, and that can be useful for getting out of sticky situations, but in this ship, ideally, you're not going to be stopping with this gameplay. You want to be kiting around 
uh, and trying to make yourself scarce. I don't recommend sitting stationary behind islands in any battleship, and let alone a very fragile battleship. So I really recommend that damage control systems modification too, because it's, in my opinion, the most useful consumable out of all three of those. And we all know that at Rank Amateur, you can't talk about upgrades without talking about commander skills. So these skills, for those of you who are new to World of Warships, are applied to your commander, so the captain of your ship, and they improve various characteristics of your ship. That can range from reload time to uh, fire chance to the concealment of your ship. It can uh, uh, decrease the range at which you will be spotted. So for this ship, I want to go priority target, which is going to tell you um, if there's a ship targeting you from, I think, more than four kilometers with a certain, I forget what it is, a certain caliber of gun, and there is uh, expert marksman, you can go for it in the second tier, but I really suggest going for adrenaline rush because the fact that uh, the turret traverse on the guns of HMS Hood is already fairly quick, so you can improve that and make it even faster, but I recommend reducing the reload time to hopefully get that DPM up, and that's damage per minute for those of you who don't know that acronym. Uh, in slot 3, there's a few good ones. Um, you could go with Superintendent to get an extra charge of your heal and a extra charge of defensive fire. Um, that might be useful. And then there's also uh, Basics of Survivability, which that's going to decrease the time it takes to repair and uh, extinguish fires and recover from flooding. And that's going to add to the hardiness of your ship and that is very good for a ship that does not have that much armor, so it will take a lot of armor-piercing damage, so you want to minimize damage taken from all other sources as much as you possibly can. And in Tier 4, I definitely recommend taking Concealment Expert above all others, and I'm sure you're going to see this in other sources because of the fact that the Concealment is so bad on the ship, you're going to want to make sure that yeah, you can try and reduce that by as much as you can so you can get a little bit of a buffer so maybe you can kite away from someone and make yourself scarce and not be able to be seen. Uh, especially in the ship that is not as or as lightly armored as this and as large as this, that will be useful. Fire prevention, and that's going to decrease the risk of your fires uh, by 10% and reduce the maximum number of fires from 4 to 3 and that is very useful, uh, again, because you want to minimize the sources of damage you're taking, especially when you're like a ship like this, when you're going to be taking a lot of armor-piercing damage. And without further ado, we shall move on from commander skills to signal flags. Now, signal flags are similar to commander skills, except they're expendable, which means after the battle, you will not have it anymore. It'll be expended, similar to ammunition, and it also increases uh, performance characteristics of your ship in various aspects. And for this ship, I recommend flying India Yankee, which is going to reduce the fire duration by 20%. I recommend flying India Delta, which is going to reduce are going to increase the amount of health recovered by 20% when you use your repair party or your heal. Uh, that's very useful for the ship because it has a lot of health and it will take a lot of damage. November Foxtrot will reduce the reload time on your consumables by 5%, and that's useful for a ship that has defensive AA and will need to use its heal a lot. Um, and those are the main three, but I would recommend flying a fourth, and that's Sierra Mike because this ship is so fast. You, This ship is... Or, this signal flag, rather, is going to increase your maximum speed by 5%, useful on a battlecruiser that is meant to be fast. And so how would I play this ship? Well, I would play this ship at a distance. I would definitely try to keep my distance between my adversaries as much as possible because of its good accuracy at range and its inability to take hits. So I recommend going against German battleships at range because their armor is weaker at range. And I think that's kind of ironic because the ship was sunk by a German battleship in World War II. But their main gun's accuracy is not going to be very good at range. And... Their main guns aren't that large, or at least in general, at the tiers that this ship is going to be fighting them. And that means that the hits are not going to be as frequent, and they're not going to be as severe if you get hit by, uh, say, a shell from a Bismarck or a Shorenhorst or something like that. So you could just plink at them from range and slowly reduce their health to, well, hopefully nothing and sink them. 
but at least enough that your teammates may come by and just finish them off for you. But I think where the ship is really going to shine is against cruisers at range. And against cruisers at range, especially if it catches him broadside, you will slap the bejesus out of them. Like, you... <laughs> I don't think it'll even be a competition. They won't even see you coming. They'll probably see you get detected as your shells are in the air, and by that time, it's probably too late. Uh, that would be probably the funnest part of the ship, and the funnest part of playing the ship. You really want to avoid any close-range encounters with this ship because of its lack of armor. And remember, from the history section of this episode, the longitudinal supports are not going to be... Uh, able to sustain fire from a large caliber shell, let's say from an Iowa or something like that, or even a Nelson. Nelson's got 16-inch guns, so it would be able to do some serious damage to you, if not outright sink you. So you do not want to give broadside to any battleships whatsoever. I mean, you might get away with a Shorenhorst or an Octoboreskaya Revolutia, um, but I really wouldn't recommend it, and that would not be fun for you. I also would stay far, far away from islands, as that's where destroyers like to hide. And, I mean, that's kind of a thing for any battleship in World of Warships, but most certainly with Hood, because although she has a good rudder shift time, she bleeds a lot of speed in her turns, and her turning circle radius is large, meaning she will have trouble avoiding torpedoes fired by said destroyer. So, engaging cruisers at range, maybe sneaking around the side of the map that has... I mean, there's not much sneaking in this ship, but sneaking around the side of the uh, map that doesn't have islands and then flanking, I think that's really where the ship's going to excel is out in the flanks, plinking away at cruisers and maybe some battleships. I don't really see you using um, your high-explosive ammunition uh, or firing at destroyers that much unless you have uh, struggled with getting over-penetrations on a uh, light cruiser, then high-explosive will get the job done for sure. And to conclude this episode of Rank Amateur, what are my thoughts on this ship? Well, I think the gist of the ship is to work your way out onto the flanks and plank from long ranges, or at least medium ranges. You may not want to go at super extreme ranges, but definitely avoid any close encounters at all costs. Avoid destroyers, but I mean, you shouldn't be super scared of them. I would definitely try your best to avoid them. Um, if you see a bunch of cruisers, definitely go after them, but don't come in at a close range. You still want to make yourself scarce and try not to get, it, get hit as best as you can. And absolutely, positively, do not engage a German battleship at close range if you can possibly help it. If you're cornered and you're the last member of your team or one of the last members on a team, yeah, maybe you might be okay if you're skillful and you're maneuvering and you're angling. But other than that, I think you're just going to get chewed up by the secondaries of the German battleship and then get finished off by the primary batteries. So that would not be a fun experience. And that kind of comes around to, is this ship going to be fun to play? Is it going to be worth it? Because it is $40, and that is a lot of money for a premium. Well, I guess not a lot of money for a premium ship. It does go up to like 70 for an Alaska, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. But uh, $40, I don't know. I If you're, I guess, a history buff and you want to play the HMS, absolutely, that's good buy. Uh, it is a decent ship. It is not a terrible ship. It will hold its own in encounters against almost any other ship that it will face. But if you're looking for, like, the most, uh, the easiest ship to play and the best ship for competitive play, I think you should probably look elsewhere, like possibly a Georgia or something like that which is slightly more expensive and harder to get, but I still would say maybe there are better options in the uh, Georgia and some of the French battleships, but if you're looking for something that's got some history tied to it, or if you're just looking for a British battleship and you already have a Nelson, or actually you can't get a Nelson anymore, at least to my knowledge, and you're looking to stay around that mid-tier range of like tier 5 to 7, where that where it's really fun to play and it doesn't get super stressful and competitive like in tiers 9 at 10, this might be the ship for you. You just have to evaluate what you want the ship for. Will it be a ship that will make you a super unicum at playing the game? And No, it's not going to carry you. You're going to kind of have to carry the ship on that, but it is a fun ship to play, and it has its uses, and I recommend it to specific audiences. I don't recommend it to everyone, 
but I recommend it to specific audiences. And that is going to conclude our episode on HMS Hood, the Tier 7 Premium British Battleship. If you like this episode, please be sure to subscribe and leave a positive review. You could shoot an email over to rankamateurpodcast at gmail.com and say something about the podcast, maybe something you liked, or something that you might want changed. I also am looking for suggestions on ships to review in next episodes and do some history on. So if you have an idea for a ship, please be sure to shoot me an email. I will read it. And if you just have any general comments or suggestions for other listeners, I will read those emails on the show. And maybe some other listeners may have have any of the same problems or tips Or if you have a question about World of Warships or Naval History, I will be able to answer that. By the way, I also have merch on Spreadshirt, and that link is located in the episode description. There is a new merch item, and that is a sticker. For the price of $3, you can get yourself an official Rank Amateur logo sticker. Perfect for sticking on your laptop water bottle or right next to your stick figure family on your rear window in your car if you so wish to do that. But any merch purchases made will significantly improve the status of my podcast. So please go check it out. There's a lot of items on there and you're guaranteed to find something that you might find interesting or like. But if you don't want to make a purchase and you simply want to donate to the podcast, that is an option. Just click on the support this podcast link in the podcast description and you can contribute any amount of money that you wish. I think up to $9.99 a month and that will go directly to supporting this podcast. Thank you very much for any contributions you make and that is about all for Rank Amateur this week and there will be a new episode in a fortnight. And until next time, captains.